Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Welcome back to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I'm your host, David Lewis, and here is where we talk about the methods and technologies for driving growth. And it is that second part, technologies, that we are going to talk a lot about on this episode. Not only in this episode, but I have an upcoming episode with Ben Bloom from Gartner, where we're also going to talk about technology. I know many of you have invested in technology uh, for marketing over the years. And let's face it, there's thousands of applications um, that are out there. So I thought for today's episode, it would be really great to hear from someone outside of marketing who is also responsible for investments in technologies to modernize business. And my guest, Tracy Michelle, is the Chief Operating Officer at Metro Credit Union. So without further ado, let's get Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me, David. I'm excited to be here. Right when we got on the call, Tracy was telling me that today was a big day uh, and they've, they've moved some of their infrastructure to the cloud and, and affecting uh, hundreds of employees' email addresses and, and the stress that you uh, and the team might be under to make sure that everything goes well. It's, uh, I, I'll tell you, as a, as a marketer, you know, every time I launch a campaign, uh, you hope everything goes well because you're affecting the inboxes of hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes even millions uh, of people. So for you to make uh, core infrastructure changes that affect the organization's ability to do outward communication, inward communication, big day for you. Congrats on that milestone. Thanks. A big deal. The team did an excellent job pulling it all together. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Tracy, before we dive into talking a little bit about infrastructure and how infrastructure can grow and, and client personas, a little bit of background would be would be good because, you know, your chief operating officer at Metro is not where you started. And so for the context that you have in, in your role of how you, uh, you know, for the past 14 years, I think it'd be really good insight as a backdrop to the conversation I want to have with you. Yeah, sure thing. So I started at the credit union, uh, as you said, 13, 14 years ago, and I started my journey in the front office. I was a branch supervisor for our main office branch, our busiest branch, and I learned everything from the ground up. Uh, and I can never understate the importance of the frontline employee and the role that they play in running the operation and being the face of the credit union or the bank. Um, it's so important that the frontline have uh, knowledge of products and services, how they operate, what the workflow is going to be, what the member experience is going to be through their life cycle. And I really latched onto that. I think I've been fortunate from the get-go that Metro is a place that has allowed employees at all levels to have a voice. And so when I'm a nag and I ask, why do we do something? I asked it when you know I had been in my position for two weeks or two years. Um, someone's there to, to give a good answer. And if there's something more that we could be doing or something that we could be doing differently, I had an opportunity early on to affect that type of change and really just grasped onto that. So uh, whether it was onboarding new employees um, through strategic partnerships and, and mergers over the years, uh, I got exposure to the systems that those other credit unions were using in their operation. And I, I was fortunate to see how people do things differently in different shops. Uh, that allowed me to bring some items back in-house from a process improvement standpoint and found myself several years into my position as the liaison to our core banking partner. 
Um, it was a really unique opportunity and it really allowed me to see things across different areas of the business uh, in terms of front office, back office, and how we utilize technology to get things done. And I, I think that's just the cornerstone uh, of my job these days is looking at all of the technologies that we use. And there are so many looking at their overlaps, looking at where um, the member experience and the employee experience are affected, and then working with all the departments that we have here at the credit union to try to do things as efficiently as possible and in the way that's going to generate the best possible experience for the members. I, um, I definitely want to drill down into our mutual passions for technology as an enabler. Uh, but I, before I get there is, I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I certainly talk about it in my, my book, Manufacturing Demand, that when I left college and I wanted to go into marketing, my professor, Jerry Rosen out of Los Angeles, he was a, you know, like a madman. He was an ad guy and he was a part-time uh, professor. And he said, you know, David, if you really want to be an effective marketing person, you should go into sales and be on the front lines because you'll learn why people buy. And that's an invaluable set of skills for you on your marketing journey. And, you know, I, that day I, I thought when he called me into his office, I was going to get offered a job at his agency, but he, you know, he was complimenting me as, as the class was coming to an end on the advertising work that I'd done and, you know, wanted to give me this kind of mentorship and, and coaching. And so to hear you talk about your journey and that now as a chief operating officer, the value you had from being you know, on the front lines, meeting face to face with customers and seeing what their experience has been. I mean, let's face it, banking has changed dramatically in the past 14 years, let alone last couple decades. And I, you know, my mom who's 85 now, I, I was like so pleased the other day when she was in town and she said, Hey, can we go by the bank? I want to stop at the ATM and get some money. And I'm like, mom, do you use an ATM now? that is really new. And she's like, yeah, I've, I, you know, I find it, I find it convenient. And that was not a thing for my mom. She's the person who goes into the bank. My grandma was the one who would open new accounts for me and get toasters and stuff like that way back in the day when they did that. Yeah. So I love the fact that you talk about the importance of being on the front line, because I've said on the podcast many times to marketers and certainly to salespeople, switch roles. If you are new in, like if anybody's starting a job right now at a new company and you're in marketing, go meet with customers face-to-face. -face. Just talk to them about why they buy and use the products that you are now going to be marketing. If you're in sales, you know, go talk to existing customers and talk to people that have fired you. Talk to people who are no longer customers too. And definitely talk to people who use your competitor's products. So I'm glad you you talked about that. What are some of the, the takeaways? I mean, as, as, as a chief operating officer who is modernizing infrastructure and changing the way that you engage with clients, you know, what are some of those top of mind things that you're thinking about in terms of client experience that you're putting technology uh, to help improve upon? Because for you, as you said to me, like that's the main thing that you think about is not only company growth, but but improving the client experience. Yeah, well, an experience is such a driver for growth. I think uh, as consumers, I, I get to visit all of our new hires that come in um, every two weeks and talk to them as well about. Um, expectations coming into the credit union and, and what the opportunities are that they have. And one of the things that I always talk to them about is bringing their consumer experiences into their roles. 
um, we are looking for, whether we realize it or not, we are looking for Amazon-like experiences with every company that we do business with, um, whether it is a bank or a grocery store or buying household goods. It doesn't, doesn't matter what the purchase is. It doesn't matter what the, the interaction is. We're looking for that level of an experience everywhere that we go. Uh, and so we have to have that top of mind when we're building a workflow and talking about sending out a communication. I'm asking the team to take that all the way through and talk to me about what fulfillment is going to look like. Talk to me about what onboarding is going to look like post-purchase. Talk to me about what their experience is going to be a month after they have the product. So we try to not look at any one of these touch points in a silo. Uh, we have to look at it as a complete train of events and try to back into it from there. Yeah. Um, I was in Wells Fargo the other day, and I think I was the second person in line, and the line was five deep. And the person who was at the end of the line was very loud. I felt obnoxious in terms of venting that she was waiting in line. And she's like, this is just ridiculous. And then one of the I call him the Walmart reader. There's there's someone in, in Wells Fargo who's like right there at the door when you come in trying to direct traffic. He walks over and he goes, he goes, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you sound frustrated. Is there anything I can help with? And she's like, well, why aren't there more tellers? And he's like, well, we do have three people at the front right now. I apologize for the wait. And she's like, it's completely unacceptable. So two things went through my mind. Good David thought I'm going to, hey, if you're in a rush and you want to jump in front of me, go right ahead, um, and which I did offer her. The initial reaction was, is like, God, so spoiled by technology and just everything being instantaneous that in a now life position where you have to wait a couple minutes, it was so disruptive to her. And yet I think about you and like, you know, for Metro, you guys care so much about your clients and the client experience, and you have so much to offer. And I, I just want to tee it up for you, which is, I feel that marketers, for the most part, don't have a lot of strength in install-based marketing. Yeah, it's it's a complicated uh, mixed bag. But the, what we're trying to do in our strategy is prioritize um, and make as efficient as possible those quick and easy transactions where we either don't have to be involved because they can be done via self-service, end-to-end, um, completely automated, um, or put the person in front of the member in the channel that they want to do business in. Uh, I think a lot of times we get tripped up in this legacy way of thinking that in order for someone to do business with us, they have to come in or they have to pick up the phone and call. And consumers are so far beyond that at this point. Uh, and we're really focused on trying to meet them where they want to interact with us. So mm -hmm. part of the frustration of that, that person that you had at Wells Fargo, it, it could have been the fact that she had to come in in the first place. Maybe she would have preferred to have conducted that transaction in some other channel, but that wasn't available to her. And so just by way of having to walk in the front door, she's already put off, not right. to mention the fact that she then has to wait in line. Um, we have tools. There are tools out there for us to be able to enable um, agent-assisted conversations or completely self-service conversations right through public-facing website, behind the pin in online banking, we're leveraging some chatbot technology to help us peel back the most basic and easy conversations. And that allows our employees to have those value added conversations. They not only have the time to do so, 
but they're getting in front of people who want to have those types of conversations or who have a more complex type of transaction, a more complex problem that needs problem solving. So we're trying to chip away at it yeah. in a few different ways. You, um, and I want to dive into how you do it. You're very, very good, you and the team on, on establishing personas for people. And this is one persona that I wasn't actually thinking about is the, the person who doesn't want to interact with a human being, um, thinking more of like where you are in your stage of life from retirement to opening your first checking account. So those personas that you're talking about, someone who may want to interact with you a certain way, um, I recently called Marriott and uh, went through their phone tree. And I recently called Comcast and went through their phone tree. And I will, they were not good experiences. Sorry, Marriott and Comcast, They're, they just weren't. Um, Comcast had to report a security incident and it just took way too long to get to the right department. And then once you got to that department, it had to get escalated to another one. So I like was eight minutes into the call before I was even talking to someone that could help me with it. And I would have just liked, you know, the bat phone to like go right there, but it's 1-800-COMCAST. So how do you, how do you determine these different paths that people can get to you? That's part one of the conversation. And two is, are you seeing a difference with age? You know, so I have two daughters and by the way, by the time this is published, I'll, I'll be a grandfather, which is super exciting. Uh, Thank you. Um, they, oh, we lost, we lost your lighting. It's back. Um, yeah. by the way, for those of you that are like, how did he know that? We do put these episodes not only on our podcast channels, but they are on our YouTube channel. So if you want to search YouTube for Demand Gen, um, you can see Tracy and I having this conversation and the, and the lighting that just went out. It's funny, we talked about lighting before we kicked off. Yeah. Um, so are you seeing a, a, a sea change in terms of how you engage with clients because of the younger demographic growing up on smart devices? Without a doubt. Um, although it's interesting, um, my my 84 year old grandfather is the edge case to all of this because he um, operates exclusively on an iPad and that's he's probably outside the norm. But um, of course, there's some generational aspects to things. Their age is a factor. But even from a persona perspective, we find that it has more to do with somewhat where someone is in stages of life, what milestones they're hitting. And obviously that can happen uh, at different ages for different people or in different cultures. So we tend not to look at it strictly from an age and demographic standpoint, but more about where they are in a certain stage of life, what goals they're trying to meet, and how we can help move them along that financial journey, uh, whether they're strapped and stressed, whether they're carefree, whatever the, the um, characteristics are that make up that persona. And age is just one of those um, factors, but certainly not all. And to go back to the technology and how it enables us to do some of those things, uh, from a phone system perspective, as one example, we're currently looking at our phone tree. And as opposed to having someone served up nine different options and, and having to be sure that they're choosing the right one, after those nine options, you get served up nine more options as you go deeper and deeper. Um, how awesome would it be if right up front, you were just asked, um, how can we help you today? And you got to verbalize what your issue was. And um, then you were routed to the right person based on your verbal um, explanation of what it is that you were trying to do. I'm smiling nope. because wouldn't it be cool push, push if they button. figured out what language you spoke and didn't have to ask yeah. you if you want English, push one yeah. or you know Spanish, push, push two. It's like, they just spoke in Spanish, so clearly we'll start answering them. That would be, is that here yet? Do they have that? It's coming, it's okay, coming. Okay, cool. Yeah. Those I, are some of the investments that we're looking to make that can change the way uh, they change the experience that people are having with us.
I'm sliding over in my office to grab a copy of my my book because I was going to quote what chapter it's in, but I'm going to make sure um, the chapter I did on personas. Uh, and it is, it's principle number one is chapter three. And so I wrote a bunch about the importance of creating personas in the book. And I'll, I'll put a link to it for anybody who doesn't have a copy in the description so you can download it. Hard copies available out there, but hey, why not why not save some trees? You want to download it. Uh, in my book, Tracy, I talk about the work I did in previous companies to really map a persona. And I actually show uh, what some of those persona maps look like. I'm curious as a chief operating officer and someone who is so intimately involved in persona identification, not only this behavior type of how they want to interact with you, but the different stages of life and how you can look at their their banking information and their meta information, that type of stuff, and make some of those determinations. Tell me about your process. Paint a picture, if you would. Tell me a story about the process of establishing personas at, at Metro, not only for you, but across the organization, because the way that I wrote about it and did it, I have to think is very different than how banking, but uh, you know, a chief operating officer and other people would do that outside of marketing. Uh, yeah, well, and maybe it isn't so different. I'm not sure. We. We started by evaluating who we already had in our membership and, and looking at all those hundreds of different characteristics of products, services, demographics, who they are, where they come from, uh, again, cultures and, and things along those lines, family characteristics. We also layered in um, a lot of focus group activity as well. So we were able to find out what people knew about the credit union, uh, we're banking's best kept secret is one of the, uh, the taglines that we've had over the years. But uh, in those conversations and focus groups learned even more about who lives in the communities that we serve, who these people are, and to the extent that they exist or do not exist in our existing member demographics, uh, we understand personas that are out there that we may not be serving. Mm -hmm. uh, we certainly serve some personas to a greater extent than others. So we looked not only at our own membership, but also the, the prospects that are out there, um, those that we don't yet serve to understand those populations as well. And ultimately had that all analyzed to come up with four key personas that we understood um, existed in some, to some extent in our member database that would be meaningful for us to continue to message as time goes on. Do you have names for those personas? We do. I don't have them all off the top okay. of my head, but they are do, they people's they, names they or name. or descriptive? Eventually, they are each descriptive. Although we eventually, for two of them that we focus on, we boiled it down to individual people. It helps uh, give some more context to it and sort of grounds that persona in yeah. a person. But we try really hard not to get boxed in to to just the one individual that sort of represents the persona because they do tend to be a lot more broad yeah. than that one individual person. We have, we have, uh, five core personas. Um, two of them I'll share. We, one's called the new sheriff and one's called the agent of change. You're probably the agent of change in our, in our persona mix. And I'd have to go back to our sales cycle to, to profile that. But the new sheriff is there's a brand new head of marketing that goes to, uh, an environment and she or he, uh, are looking to, you know, in the, in their new role, at their new organization, reevaluate their team, reevaluate the technology, reevaluate their go-to-market. They're the new sheriff in town, so they are bringing about change as a new sheriff. And normally, hire us to come in and do diagnostics on 
their marketing stack and and usage of marketing technology and CRM and their processes. You know, basically take a look, help me take a look at everything that we're doing currently so that we can figure out what to do next. The agent of change is the person who's been in the client environment or prospect environment for us, um, but doesn't feel like what they're doing is best in class, doesn't feel like they are keeping up with modernizing marketing. So they want to take things to the next level. And those are just two of our personas. And we didn't give them names like, you know, Sharon and Michael, but we, we call the new sheriff and the agent of change. And that way our sales team, when they're talking to someone say, Hey, look, I want to bring you on to this call. We got a new sheriff over at so-and-so and the team knows that's it. So that's why I was asked right the question. Away. Yeah, right away. Yeah. Okay. That's the persona. And that's, that's the play in terms of conversations for that, that persona. Yeah. How do you guys operationalize personas or, or use them within the bank to get the team aligned in terms of your, your growth strategy and interaction? I mentioned strapped and stressed. That is one of the big ones that we focus on. And it's probably not hard to see why uh, in this climate in particular, a lot of people are strapped and stressed about money. And that helps us frame our conversations with them. It's not just, uh, it's education, right? Um, if they're strapped and they're stressed and they don't necessarily see a way out of their current situation, they don't know how to get from point A to point B. They just know that money gives them angst and um, they don't necessarily feel like they're, they're juggling it and managing it well. Then there's educational tools that we can provide in order to help them feel more comfortable and help them see the light at the end of the tunnel. There's obviously product and service that's tied in with that so that, that we can uh, bring on more of that banking relationship and really start to bring them along from a consultative standpoint. But it's also about the, the types of conversations that we have, how we speak to that group and the type of experience that we have to create for them, understanding that money isn't easy for them. Um, I think we get, uh, we get boxed in here at the credit union because we work for a bank. So money comes very easily to us as employees. When we're thinking through communications and we're thinking through a process, we think through it from our standpoint of people who know money well. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that we remember that our members tend to be the opposite of us. They tend to be strapped and stressed, not comfortable with concepts around money. And by continuing to focus people around that, we find that we get better content that way, but we also have um, stronger workflows that way because we're considering how they're going to feel about coming through a process that's just naturally uncomfortable for them. Yeah. One thing, and maybe you guys do this, um, there's a local bank here that, that does this is, you know, when you go to an Apple store and you walk in and you see that there's courses going on and they're teaching mm -hmm. anybody in the store all day long. And I, I was very critical of college and, and high school that we didn't, weren't taught financial skills. Like I swear by Quicken. I love Quicken. Actually, before I sold my company to BDO Digital, ran my company on, on QuickBooks for 14 years. So big, big shout out to the, the Quicken and QuickBooks team. But I didn't know what the hell I was doing in the beginning. You know, I just, it was a digital check register until I started watching some YouTube videos and discovered how to use the investing capability. Do, do does your bank or, or do banks educate and inform our youth on financial planning and, and the various instruments. I mean, interest rates have changed dramatically recently, and there's some mm -hmm. opportunities to really take advantage of that. And one bank reached out to me, offered three and a half percent on their new money account. I'm like three and a half percent interest. Wow. So education, I mean, is that part of the mix of interacting with your clients? Cause I've never seen that out there. It is a massive opportunity. I will say in a pre-COVID environment, we were doing 
um, a lot of lunch and learns with um, employer groups that had Metro as a, a banking benefit for their awesome. employees. We were doing first time home buyer seminars. A lot of that shifted to virtual, obviously, in the pandemic environment and even post pandemic with behavior shifts. We're finding people are more likely to attend those sessions from home on the couch than yeah. to come out and visit a branch. So we're continuing to offer those. It's still a huge cornerstone of what we do, but we certainly feel like there's still an untapped market on the open web for additional financial education. And it's getting back to that core um, competency of meeting people where they are. And if yeah. they're out, they're Googling, how do I do X, Y, and Z? We should meet them there with some content. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to host branches inside of high schools in some of our local communities. And so we get face-to-face -face with students and are able to put some additional financial literacy education in front of them. Um, but we can't scale that. We can't be in every high school in our footprint. So it's finding different ways to get in front of those students um, and their parents as they're looking for college financing and things yeah. like that. So documenting personas, evaluating those personas, keeping up on it, essential to a company's success. And it's so great to hear you talk about it as a chief operating officer when I often just see that primarily in product marketing, sales and marketing, having those conversations, not really the discipline, which is why it was, you know, after, after the forward of the book, it was really the first chapter because to me that lays the foundation for good marketing, good selling and good, good client experience. Um, what's your, what's Metro's footprint in terms of primary states? Uh, primarily in Massachusetts. Okay. We have a couple of counties in our field of membership yeah. in Southern New Hampshire, but our branch footprint yeah. is in the state of Massachusetts. You kind of are the credit union for Massachusetts. Is it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's part of your tag. We, we are the, credit uh, union. the lar largest state chartered credit yeah. union in Massachusetts. Awesome. And we do serve uh, Massachusetts state employees. Yeah. First time I ever learned about a credit union. I, I told you this, my, my father-in-law coming home and he's like, he's like, yeah, I bank at the Lockheed credit union. I'm like, I thought you guys made like rockets and, you know, missiles and stuff like that. When, when did Lockheed get into banking? He goes, oh, no, no, we just have so many employees that we have a credit union for our employees. I'm like, holy cow. It was, you know, I was, I was whopping age of, I don't know, 19 when I, when I learned that. Um, it wasn't my father-in-law at that point, but I was dating his daughter, who's now my, my yeah. wife. Um, so personas, let's talk about technology. And I want to disclose something to you that, uh, is an observation that I'm seeing right now and get your reaction to it. We are in, uh, I don't have to tell you, you're in banking. We are in some type of macroeconomic condition that is different than things were, let's just say, a year ago or two years ago. Tracy, I love technology. Like I am a geek, okay? Grew up, personal computer, Friday nights meant parents are out at dinner. Wow, I get to stay home with my friends and, and either play or make video games. So love technology. Love people too, but I also do love technology and how enabling it is. So when I got into technology in business, CRMs, early pioneer of the, using CRMs, especially in the cloud, marketing automation uh, platforms, like you know some of the systems that you guys use, I was all in. I'm like, wow, technology for my work, for my job, let's do this. Invested, brought it in, mastered it, mastered it so well that I went and started an agency to help people with it. So maybe I'm a little bit of a unicorn. I don't know. What followed after that from this 2007 period was massive spending in the market field of marketing technology, almost overspending, Tracy, where marketers were like kids in candy stores and there was all these shiny new toys. So they started buying this platform and this platform, you know, licensing all this stuff. 
and they they ended up with stacked bloat. Now what I'm seeing, the disclosure, what I want to share with you is the pendulum has swung to where there's much less, I believe, underspending happening in sales and marketing and customer experience technology because I think marketers made some mistakes, didn't have the discipline that you have as a COO for planning and preparing for the projects that are needed to ingest these technologies and really use them. So they bought stuff without thinking it all the way through. They bought some stuff that didn't yield results and they bought stuff that eventually got replaced or upgraded by a different system that they had to sunset. So let's start off with a few questions. One is, are you still investing in technology? Uh, I think I know the answer to that, but what advice do you have for marketing who maybe hasn't had the discipline and is now gun shy of making these investments? Because I see some of our clients thriving and investing, and I see a majority of companies scaling back their marketing technology investments. And I'm concerned about that, that they've gone now, pendulum swung too far. Oh, it's real. Uh the, the biggest thing that marketing can do is partner with operations. Uh, the, the, the key, and we're still perfecting this process, we are by no means perfect here, is understanding what it's going to take to operationalize the tools that you're investing in and planning for that upfront and being very deliberate. Take longer than you think you should to sit down and plot out how you'll phase it into your operation. What does, what does that phasing look like? And you have to define what success looks like up front um, and, and understand how to measure that as you go through different stages of introducing it to the operation. Uh, and then again, there's always the change management component of things. When you're um, trying to revolutionize the way that you're doing business, uh, having employees understand that that change is good, that it's necessary, the benefits for them at the end of the day. I mean, we talk about automation here all day long but people know that it's not automation so that we can cut jobs, right? It's automation so that we can have higher value conversations so mm -hmm. that we can solve more complicated problems when they come up because there will always be complicated problems. There's some good discipline uh, so there. You said, you said plan. Uh, I'm curious what tools or approach you take for cost justification of these investments and what, mm -hmm. how you approach the um, ingesting and implementation of those systems. Because again, I, I think that's a little bit and cavalier and, and, and chaotic in marketing over the years. Uh, and, and that's why some of this result of, of scaling back and, and being gun shy has, has happened. So any advice you have there for yeah. your marketing We're colleagues? fortunate to have a, a centralized project management office at the credit union that really assists in bringing the different business units together. I happen to have the project management office in my purview. So I get to have my hands in nice. each and every one of these projects from a planning standpoint. And when it comes to defining success and, and justifying, you know, looking for ROI and justifying the investment, it's not always a straight line to uh, sales are going to increase tenfold on this product. And then we measure to that. Sometimes we're looking at efficiency gain. Sometimes we're looking at time spent. Sometimes we're looking at money spend. Um, there's a lot of different ways to slice it to come up with a return on investment. And, and oftentimes it is multifaceted. So we're looking at uh, different ways that we're going to maximize that investment out. Um, and I, I cannot, um, I can't underscore enough the importance of sitting down and planning it out and um, really segmenting it for us, it's products and services and understanding how one tool can affect multiple parts of the business. Yeah. I, um, I deal with sub creep in my life. You're like, what the heck is that? But I call it subscription creep. And so I'll, I'll open up my phone 
and I'll look at the subscription area because I have the, the family plan and, and four phones deployed in the, in across the family. I, I, I don't think no matter what age my kids are, they'll ever come off my plan because it's, it's 10 bucks for their phone. Um, but I'll find like, oh, they subscribe to this and subscribe to this and subscribe to this. And I'll cancel those subscriptions. I do it like quarterly. And these are, you know, 10 bucks or 30 bucks or a hundred some odd dollars a year. But, you know, that can really add up. And, and if you don't, if you don't think about it, um, you're, you're spending $1,200 a year on stuff that you're maybe not even using. I'd like to know, using that as a reference point, how should marketing or even sales approach the auditing of the infrastructure they're, they're using to sunset applications, either justify that they still should be using it or sunset? Because I, again, I see some marketers not disciplined in this area. We help them with it, but I, I, in general, not disciplined with it. And the renewal sneaks up on them. It's like, oh, I got my renewal. That's another $40,000 and it's back in their budget because they couldn't cancel it in time or couldn't, more importantly, take the time to think about unplugging it from their infrastructure to save that money. Thoughts around the the renewal cycles, the subscription cycles that you have. It is That is a big challenge. And uh, I won't say that we've mastered it, but uh, we do have, an, it's again, a centralized process. So this isn't a function that has to take place just in marketing, but it takes place across all of our business units to back up from that and renewal and what's been important for us is to get off of annual auto renews wherever we can, because they do tend to sneak up on you so quickly. Just right after you renew, you need to be looking at it for the next cycle, essentially. Yeah. Um, it gives that business unit an opportunity when they get the initial ping that, hey, we need to uh, we need to take a look at this relationship to say, you have this tool that does A and B, you have this other tool that does B and C, they both can do B. Yeah. Is there a reason that we need to keep two tools that can do B. Can yeah. one do it better than the other? Is there an opportunity to collapse some things down? Do we just need to um, find a new integration to make a hop from this tool to this tool? Uh, we happen to have technology business partners here at the organization. I call them middleware. Uh, other organizations might call them business analysts, but they do an excellent job partnering with our business lines and talking about how to utilize technology and mm -hmm where it may be tough for a marketer to conceptualize how to move from tool A to tool B, those teams as the middleware component help to work out what that might look like yeah. and plot out a timeline for it. And then if it makes sense, get it into our project pipeline. So nice. it's again, it's not marketing operating in a silo. It's, it's a partnership with the technology team to make those things happen. That's great. We, we do these MarTech assessments and we, we typically do like a spider chart where we measure on their implementation, adoption, usage, and impact, those four areas. And so we, we spider, uh, you know, create a spider chart on that. And if there's, you know, very little impact and lots of usage, that's glaring that like, wow, we're using the hell out of this tool, but we're not getting any impact. That's consuming budget, consuming resource, consuming time. Um, so, you know, looking at those four different dimensions. The other thing I uh, find that's really helpful is marketers are really guilty of this and I'm, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with this is they they like to let's let's go with food for a second so if plant-based food is the rage then every package gets updated with that it's plant-based or it's organic and so marketers uh, of marketing technology if abm is the hot new acronym in marketing for account-based marketing then all of a sudden you've got 500 tools out there that all claimed claim to be an ABM platform, have ABM capabilities. So you can't figure out, 
like you said, the Venn diagram, like, wait, I got this tool and I got this tool and both say this. So which one actually is the platform I should be using and, and how different. So it's really confusing for buyers when marketers of MarTech um, drop themselves into categories, the shiny new toy category. Uh, it's, yeah. it's rough. I would say it's uh, RPA and artificial intelligence are the new, yeah. those are the, in the tech space for yeah. banking and credit unions. Those yeah. are the things we're up against. Yeah. We get a hundred calls a day from those, those types of great products. new AI technology that's going to help you do. Yeah. And AI is, is amazing. I don't know if you follow this stuff happening in AI art and it's pretty cool. What, what systems can generate and do these days based on words that we, that we type in. Um, want to, ask you for advice and this would be advice to folks in marketing either marketing leadership marketing management or even um just marketing practitioners how to form a relationship with someone like yourself and a department like yourself um to help them be more successful in what they're doing what what are your what are your thoughts there i mean clearly i think the persona exercises that you guys do on a regular basis helps align the entire organization on who the customer is and, and how we support them, how we market to them, how we sell to them, how we help them. Clearly, um, your, your advice around talk to us about your infrastructure and your needs and, and work with the PMO office, project management office to uh, implement and adopt new technologies and evaluate the systems that we have. But any other thoughts, ad advice? Because as I was saying earlier, before, there, before I think we hit record, like, I can't point to a lot of experiences and marketers that have a tight relationship with the chief operating officer of the organization. And, and you guys are just operate so differently, which is great. So aligned. Yeah. I, I don't think that, that the key is any different for marketing than it is in other parts of the organization where you want to break down silos. And it's just to be more inclusive, include more people in the conversations that you're having about what you do and why you do it, because inevitably when we look across the organization, everything that we do touches another business unit in some way, shape or form. We all have overlap with one another. Um, none of what we do actually operates in a vacuum because mm -hmm. we're all trying to, we're all trying to go in the same direction and, and march to the same beat. So to the extent that we can embrace that and bring other people into the conversation, um, that's gonna build relationships and things are just gonna come out of the woodwork when you start to talk about the intersect between marketing and operations or marketing and technology and acknowledge that overlap instead of looking at it as an us versus them. We're going to do our job and they're going to do their job. Uh, and that's like the culture change for a lot of organizations. But culture change starts with individual people yeah. taking that on their backs and deciding that they're going to make that happen. Can I ask you a loaded question? Is marketing a cost center or a revenue center? <laughs> It's definitely a revenue center. No, it is. Um, I would, we don't look at, this is another probably unique area for Metro. We don't typically look at our cost centers, although we call them that, as either revenue generators or cost centers. We look at everybody as contributing to the bigger picture. And I think that's key. We're not doing uh, profitability models around marketing in a vacuum. Yeah. We are definitely taking into account the bigger picture with how marketing is contributing to each of the individual business lines. And I can say the same for operations, which has historically been looked at as a cost center. Yeah. We don't drive a lot of new business and operations, yeah. but we, we certainly can drive people away if we aren't giving yeah. a good experience. I think if there was like the equivalent of, uh, 
a support group for executives yeah. and we had or HR and marketing and ops sitting together to be like, my name is David Lewis and I'm a cost center, you know, it's like, yeah. but, but you're not, you're not. And that's why we're all here together. I love that. Love that. Well, thank you, Tracy, uh, for, for joining me on the podcast and sharing uh, your insights. I, I strongly encourage uh, all of us to to network with one another. And if you're not connected or want to be connected with with Tracy on, on LinkedIn, Tracy Michelle, T-R-A-C-I, and then M-I-C-H-E-L, two first names, uh, as you said. Um, great conversation. I could talk to you a lot more about it. We'll continue to to chat. I, the, the credit unions, uh, you guys are a phenomenal client. And, and the people that we work with that are so precision and so focused on generating revenue out of this install base, uh, crush it. And and so many people are always focused on the next customer. And of course you are. Of course, you know, new customers is the lifeblood of any business. But really, especially in this 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 climate, to focus on your partner channel, to focus on your install base is essential uh, for growth. And just really, really appreciate everything that you shared with me today. Thanks, David. Thanks again for having me. You bet. All right, you guys, that is going to do it for this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Hope you enjoyed that. It was nice to have really someone, uh, I was going to say outside of marketing, but Tracy's anything but outside of marketing, as you could hear, but someone in a different role than normally we talk to here on the podcast. I want to just wish you guys happy holidays. I know Thanksgiving uh, is either happening for you right now or uh, around the corner, uh, as well as the end of the year. And I cannot believe that the holiday lights are starting to go up and we are celebrating the end of the year. I think you guys heard, uh, I'm excited to become a grandpa uh, by probably by the time you that you hear this, and that's uh, a new exciting dimension to my life. I hope your life and things in your world are going well. Uh, if there's any way that I can help or my team can help, don't ever hesitate to reach out. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 